First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. Let me, let me repeat that, say it a little bit different way. Place yourself under the story writer, the one who writes the story of your life. And, and at the exact right moment, the answer will come. At their exact right moment, things will get cleared up. At the exact right moment, it will all make sense. At the exact right moment, the good will happen. Cast all your anxieties on him. What, what anxieties? <laughs> anxieties about the difference between his timing and your timing. Because his proper time and our proper time don't always line up. But know this. He cares for you. I think the, uh, the first God idea, the first God thought that I, that I got, that, that kind of sunk in and I, I said, okay, I, I believe this and I understand it, was a, a very simple idea. I would imagine it's the first idea for a, a lot of folks and it was very simply this. God loves me and he has a plan for my life, a, a purpose for my existence. And, and that truth was used with me by my mom and dad when I was three or four years old to, to explain that I was adopted. That, that's how they communicated that. That's how me, they helped me to understand that. And of course, not only in that moment, but in, in moments that would follow, they would continue to teach this truth. And a lot of times they used Psalm 139 to, to help teach me this idea. I want to read some portions from that. If you want to turn there to Psalm 139, don't you love the Psalms? You just kind of let your Bible fall open and there they are. You know, don't have to do a whole lot of searching. Kind of go to the middle of your Bible, Psalm 139. And I actually want to read a verse uh, that, that comes right before it. Psalm 138, verse 8. Uh, I want to read that one first. It says, the Lord will, man, that's a, that's a powerful word right there, folks, will. You can kind of circle it because that means that what we're getting ready to read is a guarantee. It is a promise. This will happen. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Man, folks, just think about that. Like God the creator, the eternal father, the, the omnipotent, the omniscient, the, the almighty, the most holy, the eternal father, that one, that's the one who loves you. That is the one who's promised you were made with a purpose and I will accomplish that purpose. That, that, that story will come to the right and good ending. Awesome news. Let's see how this continues to unfold. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain it. If you drop down to verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the the days the days that were formed for me when as yet none of them had taken place how precious to me are your thoughts O god Boy, there's a lot there for us to just kind of anchor our soul to, like, well, for the rest of our time on this earth. If if I could just review a couple of ideas there. And and I'm, by the way, I'm going to use pronouns like I and me a lot. But you know, when I'm saying I and me, you plug in your name, right? Plug in your I and your me. This is, this is just as true for you. Folks, I read this and I realize, man, God knows everything about me. He, He knows everything that I am and he knows what I'm not. He knows what I'm going to say and he knows what I didn't say. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm not thinking. He knows where I'm going and where I didn't go. Hey, I love this one. God knows everything actual and possible about me. You know know what that means? It means as I walk up on this moment, I'm walking up to a conversation. I'm walking up to bad news. I'm walking up to good news. I'm walking up to a decision. I'm walking up to an event, whatever. We're all walking up to something, aren't we? God knows when I get to that moment, he knows that I am actually going to turn right because of that moment. And he knows everything that will unfold the rest of my life because I turned right, right there. That's what everything actual is. But God also knows, isn't this cool? He knows everything possible. While I went right and he knew I would go right, he also knows everything that would have happened if I'd have gone forward. He knows everything that would have happened if I'd have gone left, not just in that moment or the next day, but everything for the rest of my life. He knows about us entire lives that didn't happen. How cool is that? And that's when David says, what you know is too much for me to get my arms around. What you know is too much for me to comprehend. That's David's way of saying, this is so cool. I can't even get all this. And, And folks, it is with that kind of knowledge that God writes the story of your life. A story that doesn't begin somewhere in the course of, ah, let's see, I pick you, I'll I'll write a story for you. No, he actually, before you draw your first breath, when you're being knit together there in your mother's womb, he knew you before that. He knows every day that you will live on this planet. He already knows your last day. He knew that before you took breath on your first day. Think about, though, folks, what that means. Not only does he know the first day and the last day, he knows all the days in between, all the events in between, but that means that as he writes the story of your life, he is working with all of that information. Think about the things you can't make sense of in your life. Think about the things you don't like in your life. Think about, he knows all of that. And with that, he writes your story. Humble yourselves under the story writer. Why? Because he has all this kind of knowledge. Because he's promised he's going to write that story for you. Man, folks, with that kind of truth, knowing that should that not, can that not just fill life with such a a great sense of strength, a great sense of purpose, a great sense of direction, peace, peace. Here comes bad news. You know what I love? Old, Old Testament Psalms, it says that the righteous one does not fear bad news. There is an existence for us. There is a status for us where we never fear 
the bad news that comes tomorrow. Now that, that verse is not saying that you'll never have bad news. That, that verse is saying no bad will ever touch you. No, it's just saying I don't ever live in fear of that. You know why? Because I'm not the story writer. I'm humbled, I'm under the story writer, and he's got the news. He's got all the pages, all the sentences of this story. I don't, but he does, and so I humble myself under him, and he's got it. The story writer's got it. If it was just that easy, right? I mean, yes, all that is true, and and the things that result from it are all true, but let's be honest, you and I, we have a hard time being humbled. We have a hard time staying under the story writer because that, that bad news does come. Bad news, confusing news, news I can't make sense. Where does this go in the story? I, I don't like this in the story and I, I can't put it. So you know what we do? You know what I do is I come out from under the story writer and I'm going to write the story. I'm, I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, who knows better about my life than me? Who, who loves me more than me? Who's going to be more faithful to me than, than me? And, and yet, that's not true. God loves you and God loves me more than we love ourselves. I, I'm not even sure. Talk about knowledge too wonderful to grasp. I'm not sure I can fully grasp the idea that God is more faithful to me than I am to myself. Think about it, folks. You and I spend every moment of our waking breath take, making sure that we're taken care of. And yet God is more faithful to taking care of me. God is more faithful to the good for me than than I am to myself. Wonderful truths that we just don't always trust. So we got these circumstances going on and we come out from under God and we're going to, I'm going to write my own story. By the way, so I don't, I don't think I step out and try to write my own story. Every time we sin, we're writing our own story. The big giant sin that you, you actually sweated over and felt guilty and bad and oh my gosh, am I really going to do this? All the way down to the sins you and I do without even thinking. It's like drinking water. We don't even really even acknowledge that we're sinning. We just do it so naturally. All those sins in between. Folks, every time we're sin, we're saying, I'm going to write the story here. I know what the next sentence should be and the next sentence needs to lie because that's what's going to protect me and advance me. The the next sentence needs to get involved illicitly, sexually because after all, I know better how to define love. I know what love is. I know what is going to make me feel loved. I know how to get love in this world today. So, you know, I'm going to do this. Folks, every single command, just walk through the scriptures. Every time we break that, we're saying, I know how to write the story better here. I'm, I'm going to do this my way. The only problem is, wow, we're never working with this kind of knowledge, are we? We're doing good if we can remember the last chapter. And we have no concept of the next chapter. We're never working with this kind of knowledge. On my smartest, wisest day, my knowledge has holes in it. And sometimes my knowledge is just flat out wrong. And so we start messing the story up. We start making life harder for us in the, in the midst of the story. In 1991, I was uh, 26 years old and I, and I was graduating from seminary. And I'd gone to seminary because I was following God into his call on my life. A call which came back when I was 15 years old. And I, I felt God was calling me to, to preach, to, to pastor, to, to lead a church. And pretty much from 15 and on, I, most things in my life, I was kind of putting in order to get to that place with the, the big one after college going to seminary. And now that was done. So I, I was ready to go. 
And, and, and so I started to look toward that, and yet I wasn't really going to go directly into to preaching or to, to being the senior pastor of a church. I was, I was uh, looking actually at a mentor, a friend of mine, Mike and, and Dr. Young. You'll kind of hear their names a little bit this morning. But Mike was an associate pastor that worked for Dr. Young and worked for him for, for 10 years, and then he went on to be a pastor. And I kind of looked at that model and I said, yeah, that, that looks like what I think I would want God to do in my life. I, you know, I came out of seminary. I wanted to get a family started. I, I, I wanted to get some experience. You know, there's book knowledge and then there's, there's doing it knowledge and they're not always the same, are they? And so I wanted to get a little experience, especially when it could be somebody else's fault. Uh, I wanted to get a little experience in, in ministry and, and I wanted to get some more education. So now fast forward seven years, it's 1998. In March of 98, we, we had our fourth child, Randy. We had four kids under the age of seven. It was a party in our house every day. Every breathing moment, it was a party, okay? So March of 98, our fourth child, I've got a family. Uh, May of 98, I graduated with my doctorate. July of 98, there's my seventh year. I've got experience now. Now I've been in ministry 23 years now, and I think I'm maybe I'm getting close to about where I know half of what I should. So seven years isn't much, but it's more than zero, right? And so in 1998, this prayer starts to come out of my soul. Dear Lord, I'm ready. Dear Lord, I want to take that next step. Not into my story, not into my, your call, your story, what what you're doing. And, And you know what, folks? God was ready and God was excited because dads are that way, aren't they? See, he already had the answer. Not when I said, dear Lord, back when I was being formed and knitted in my mother's womb. He already knew the answer. But there was going to be a proper time. I, I didn't really grasp that point. Now, I, I was starting to look this way in the summer of 98. I shared with my pastor that I was working with I said you know and he knew this he knew what I was doing he knew what I was doing the day I got there and and so I said I think you know I think I'm ready to go and he said listen let's do this I want to I want to put you in another position uh here 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 on the staff here at the church I think this will be very valuable for your next experience it'll be very valuable to a search committee you should do this and I agreed I absolutely agreed with what he said and and committed to do that and by doing that I we didn't put a time on it but I was kind of committing that I was going to be there another 12 to to 18 months. And so I I took that on. So even though I was not beginning to actually look for the next step, for God to write the next chapter, it was in my heart and it was in my soul. That's kind of where I was going while I did this other thing for a year, year and a half. So we come to the end of 99. And and I remember going to the, uh, the staff Christmas party. Uh, in 1999, obviously days away from the year 2000. And so I'm going to the party and, and I'm pulling up. We had it at our, at our pastor's house. And I remember, pull, and I remember feeling kind of sad because this was going to be my last staff Christmas party. Last time I was with, I love these people. I mean, I'd, I'd known them now for a while and served with them. I, I loved my pastor. I loved the staff I worked with. These were best friends. And, you know, I pulled up and I was thinking, you know, this, this is my last Staff Christmas party here in 1999. Not knowing that I would also attend the staff Christmas party in 2000. See, I thought by then I'd be at another church. So you can imagine my surprise when I also attended the staff Christmas party in 2001. And I came dangerously close to getting there in 2002 also. See, that God was working out this proper time thing. Over the next three years, end of 99 
up to the summer of 2002, I, I dealt with 12 churches, 12 search committees. And uh, folks, I, I don't know how quite to relate. I mean, you've got things you pray for, right? Things you're looking for God to do, sometimes big things. Okay, this is a, a big thing. And, and you know, and so that means 12 times, if you can imagine this, 12 times I thought, oh, look, this really big thing's about to happen in my life. Really, really big. No, it's not. Oh, look, God's getting ready to answer this prayer. This is really gonna happen. No, it's not. Tw- you know, that's, that's an average of one time every three months I was going through that kind of emotional experience. You know, looking to this big thing that was God and going to do. It was up and it was down and it was up and it, and it, and it, just, it just began to wear me down. Now, folks, uh, you know, as I share this, I want you to know something. I, I think most of what I went through was a luxury. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to share that I, I've dealt with some of the, the, the severity of things or difficulty of things you have. You know, I imagine some of y'all have been in a job where you need out of that job like right now. I mean, right now you need to be out of that job and, that, and you're working with like, what could be the most wicked person on the planet? Does anyone all know who that person is? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Or, or you don't have a job at all. And you know, when you've got to get out of a job or you don't have a job, man, there's a real temptation to take the first train coming out of Dodge, right? Okay, that, that wasn't me. Praise God. Thank you. I, I loved the job I was in. I loved the people that I was working for. My family, we loved the church. We loved the community. So we, did, we didn't have any of that kind of pressure. We really had a, a really simple way to kind of pray through Psalm 138 verse 8 and wait for God to bring about his plan. And that's what we were praying for. And, and, and as we were looking at churches, you know, Karen and I were praying, God, I pray that, that you have made us for a church and you've made that church for us. There would be something unique about my background, my experiences, my personality, my strengths, my weaknesses, gifts and abilities, our marriage, our family. There would be something about all that that would uniquely serve and, and benefit this particular church and that that particular church, also something about who they are, what they are, would be just what we are and what we need. And that, that's what we were praying for. We, we had another prayer. We, we kind of said it laughingly, kind of jokingly, but in every joke, there's just a little bit of truth, Right? And so we were saying, hey, hey, Lord, we will go anywhere you want. One time zone west would be good. Two would be better. And, and that's what we were kind of thinking. We're in South Carolina. And, and I think that whole time we went through that process with a dozen churches. I think we looked at one church in South Carolina. I think we looked at one in Georgia. But, but everything else, it was, I mean, you could just circle it. It was, it was Oklahoma. It was Texas. It was Colorado. It was New Mexico. That, that was where we were. That's where we were aiming. Every church we looked at was, was out there. I mean, some of those churches, I ended up telling no. Some of those churches told me no. But uh, we went through this process, up and down, up and down. And, and, and by the time we, we started to get into 2002, folks, I was really getting kind of drained of the whole process, kind of empty. You know, one was my, my age. Now, this will sound stupid. I don't believe it now. I didn't believe it when I was saying it, but it sure felt real. You know, again, I'm following this model that I've watched in another pastor. And, and when he went, when he left working at Second Baptist Houston and went to, to South Carolina, he was 35 years old when he took that church. Guess how old I was in 2000? I was 35 years old. So I'm thinking, Lord, you know, 35, this, is, this year we do it. 
and then I'm 36, and, and then I'm 37, and, and the summer of 02, when I turned 37, that's, that's where I was really bottoming out, and, and I was like, God, you've missed, you've missed the window. <laughs> I knew that coming out of my mouth, that was stupid, but it was as real to me as, as anything I could say. You're, you're, I mean, I really, I thought once, well, I'm 37, I mean, what's the point? I, you know what, let's not even do it. You know, I mean, we've, we, we're this late. What's the point of even going now? You know, it, I, I don't know. I just felt like, you know, apparently God doesn't know where I am. Maybe Spartanburg's too small. God doesn't know where I am. Or really, it's not that God doesn't know where I am. It's that God doesn't care. God doesn't care where I am. That doesn't care about me. Doesn't care what I'm trying to do here. Trying to accomplish. I'm, I'm doing it for you, Lord. And so that's, that was what was going on. And then that coupled with, and this is really the bigger thing that, that where I really bottomed out in 2002 is the, the, these two men in my life, Dr. Young and Mike, um, uh, had recommended me to, to these two churches. Uh, not at the same time. I dealt with one more in the spring, one more in the summer. Both of them were great churches. As a matter of fact, I was really kind of like, why are y'all even looking at me? Because, I mean, at this time, I, had, I hadn't preached more than twice in a single year. I certainly never preached two Sundays back to back. And so, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience. And I'm thinking, man, these are really, I'm just surprised these churches were looking at me. And, and yet, in both of these churches, I became their last candidate. In other words, we are at the place, we just all need to step forward and make this happen. And yet, when we got to that place, and remember, Mike and Dr. Young recommended me for these churches. And yet, as I got to those places, they told me not to go. They, they said, you shouldn't go to those places. And they, they didn't just say, don't go. They, they explained why. They gave the rationale for why I shouldn't do that. And, and folks, I, I, I understood what they were saying. I agreed with what they were saying. And I hated them for what they were saying. Do you know when you, when you step out from under the story writer, it's hard to like people. Because you see the evil in them. You see the wrong. You start... Seeing evil that's not there, you start not you start doubting and and not trusting and and not loving. And 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 as they were telling me that, you know what? I figured out. I, you know what? I know why I'm not getting a church. I know why this is is not happening because I'm trusting in men and not God. Doesn't the Bible say that? The answer is yes, it does. Over and over and over, multiple times, Old Testament, New Testament. Don't trust in men. Trust in God. Well, that's what I'm doing. I'm trusting in these men. I need to ignore them and I need to put my faith in God and step forward into one of these two churches. But you know, I could get no peace about doing that. I mean, I could go to a verse and say, oh, this is what it says. But, but that's not the only verse, is it? If we're making decisions based on one verse that we want to see a certain way at a certain time, that's a good idea to check yourself. Because while we don't trust men, we trust God. God puts people in our lives, doesn't he? As a matter of fact, and this is, I think this is kind of something we don't see as much in our culture and this generation anymore. But God puts spiritual authorities in our life. And, and I saw both of these men as, as a spiritual authority in my life. They, were they wise counsel? Yes. Were they, were they godly counsel? Yes. But it was, it was more than that. They were, they were an authority in my life. And so while I could get no peace ignoring them, I did find a peace in saying, I'm, I'm going to trust what these guys are saying and, and I'm going to do that. That's where I found peace. That's where I felt like I was following the Lord. And so in late spring, I called that one church. And then later into the summer, I called that other church and I said no. 
And you know, when you, when you, when you obey and, and you step into what God's calling you to do and what you know to do, there's just such a sense of peace. Unfortunately, that's not at all what I experienced. I, I really believe I was obeying. I really believed I was following the Lord and I was bitter and I was angry about it. Still just overwhelmed. I mean, this, this is four years now. Okay, four years of asking God, four years of trusting in him, following him, leading him. This is what you want. This is your call. Four years of not getting an answer. Four years of this up and down, up and down. And then in August of 92, a guy by the name of of Jerry Burkett calls me. He is uh, the chairman of a search committee from Colonial Heights, Virginia. Now, I don't know if you know where Virginia is. But it's not one time zone west. And it's certainly not two time zones west. It's actually a little further north than South Carolina. And if you draw a straight line, it was a little further east. Wrong direction, Lord. (laughs) You know what's funny, folks? The reason the word humble is used, we have to humble ourselves to put ourselves under the story writer. is because this story about me, it's not about me. The story that God is writing for my life, the story that God is writing for your life is about him. The story of you is the story of God. And yeah, there's a lot of times, operative word here, a lot of times that you and I need to be brought to the end of ourselves so that that story continues to unfold. You know, I think a lot of times when I hear I need to be brought to the end of myself, I'm thinking, well, that's because we're, we're deep in sin, right? You need to be brought to the end of yourself because you're, you're wicked and you're in rebellion to God and you're living in sin. And that might very well be true. But you know what, folks? Not every time that we need to be brought to the end of ourselves is because we're living in rebellion and wickedness. Sometimes we can really be doing pretty good. Loving God, walking with God, trying to know and live in his will. And we still need to be brought to the end of ourselves. You know what? Time zones aren't actually that important. The most important thing about God's will is not geography. It's God's will. So Jerry calls me and we're talking on the phone and... uh, Oh, wait a minute, I got to tell you this. I got to back up. This is the best God moment. It's in the top three God moments in my life. Uh, how, how did Jerry come about to calling me? Because uh, I didn't send a resume here. They, I, I didn't know anybody in Virginia. Mike and Dr. Young did not send my, my name here. How did he come to know me? In, in September of 98, I met a man named Al Gilbert. He came to a global impact conference we were having at our church, just like we do here. You know what I'm talking about? Mission conference. So we're having one of those down South Carolina, September of 98. Al Gilbert is there. I meet him. We're, we're around each other. I don't think I have any alone time with him. We're just, you know, we're in a small group. We're in a bigger group. We're around each other a lot that weekend. I now know Al, Al Gilbert. He works at the International Mission Board. March of 99, six months later, Karen and I are at the International Mission Board here in Richmond, a, 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 kind of a related story, but way too long for it to go in today. We're already at the end. And so we, we step into his office. We see him. We say hi to him. We spend about 10 minutes in his office and that's it. We get up and leave and move on to what we're there for. And then September of 99, he, Al Gilbert is back in South Carolina again for the mission conference. And again, same kind of scenario. I'm eating lunch with him, you know, with a group of 10 people. And so, you know, stop and talk to him out in the hallway for a moment. 
And, and he asks about what's going on. And I tell him a little bit of the story I'm, t- I'm telling y'all. And, and there's some other parts to it. But uh, he says, hey, can I, come and, can I come and spend some time with you and Karen? I said, man, yeah, that'd be great. So when the conference was over, Sunday night, he comes over to our house. He spends about three or four hours with us. And, and folks, it, it would be in, in the top three times of my life that I have felt ministered to. Just blessed and ministered to. I can't go into all that that meant, but he, he, he just really ministered to Karen and I, to where we were, to what we were going through. And so, and then he leaves and that's it. I have just defined my entire experience with Al Gilbert with you. If I was to add it all up, whether we were alone or whether we were with others, probably adds up to a dozen hours. 12 hours at the most is my knowledge of Al Gilbert. Now, that was at the end, September of 99. In, and I don't know the exact dates here, but Jerry Burkett, who's member here, was, uh, he, he was a career military officer. He was retiring from that and, uh, and would go back into it. As a matter of fact, today he works at Quantico uh, on, on the Marine base. But there was a gap in between uh, his, his retiring from military career, going back into as a civil servant. In that gap, he worked at the International Mission Board. He was there for about 18 months, give or take. I don't know the exact time. But in that 18 months, he gets to know and becomes friends with, guess who? Al Gilbert. And so they, they, they don't work in the same department. They don't see each other every day, but they, they know each other. They become friends. And then Jerry leaves. He's no longer at the mission board. He's, he, he's at, at, at Quantico. Well, then this church elects him to be chairman of the search committee. He thinks, man, where am I going to find a pastor? So he decides to go to the, the, the national convention that year. I mean, you know, if you're going to fish, go to the pond where all the fish are at one time. Okay. And so all the pastors in America, you know, Southern Baptists are, are at the convention. There's about 7,500 people there, 8,000 people there in St. Louis. And at the proper Time. Not one minute earlier, not one minute later. At the proper time, God stirs Al Gilbert over there to get up and go out of the convention and just start walking down the hallway. And at the exact same moment, he stirred Jerry Burkett to get up and go outside and walk down the hallway. And here comes Jerry now and they bump into each other. Hey man, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And Jerry says, well, I'm chairman of this search committee. I'm looking for a pastor. And Al Gilbert, who has not seen or talked to me in almost three years, says, I know who you need to call and gives him my name. Folks, that's Psalm 138, verse 8 right there. I, I will accomplish my plan for you. June of 2002 is when that happened. While God is moving these two people, one that I don't know at all, one that I've known for about 10 hours to bump into each other in St. Louis, I'm at home at that exact moment thinking that God doesn't know where I am and God doesn't care about me. I will accomplish my plan for you. And so Jerry calls me. We talk for a few moments and uh, Karen knows that I'm inside talking to him. She's outside with the four kids under the age of seven who are party all the time. And so I can have a conversation. And, and so I go outside and, and she goes, well, what do you say? What do you think? And you know, it's funny. You know, you can be excited, right? Because God's answering, you know. And of course, I didn't know that whole story I just told you about. That. I didn't know that yet. And, and uh, I said, you know what, Karen, honestly, I feel like if I put a, another resume and another sermon in the mailbox, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I just was just tired of the whole thing. Yes, it's what I want to do. Yes, it's what I need to do. I just didn't care anymore. 
I just was kind of gotten emptied of myself, which is probably good because I don't know if you know, but Virginia is not one time zone west or two. And so uh, he, we talk and uh, week or two later, Roger Hamrick and Shannon Staten, two members of this church, uh, give me a call and said, hey, we're, we'd like to come up down there one weekend or this weekend and see you and, and visit with you. And so they came, Shannon's husband, John, came with them and we visited. If you know Roger and Shannon, you know I had a wonderful weekend. Those are two precious people I would be happy to spend any weekend with. And then about a couple of weeks later, two weeks after that, middle of September, the whole search committee comes down and uh, they watch me preach on Sunday. Obviously, my pastor let me preach that day. And uh, then on the day before Saturday, we interviewed, I mean, all day long, eight, eight to 10 hours. Uh, I'd, I'd never answered so many questions with the search committee. And I believe me, I knew search committees at this point. And uh, eight, eight to 10 hours, you know, Bible questions, theology questions, what would you do in this? What would you do in that? This hypothetical situation, this real life situation. Of course, I had a few questions for them too. When you deal with 12 when you deal with 12 search committees, you kind of become a professional of this situation. I got some questions for you. And uh, so we went through that whole day. And folks, with every single question, with every passing hour, there was just more of a synergy. There was just more of a vision. There was just more unity. And it just got more and more exciting. And, it, and as we left the room, as we finished that day, uh, we were walking out the door and I can, I, I remember this so clearly. I probably could show you where Karen's foot landed when she asked the question, where our car was parked outside at this hotel. And I, I said, she said, uh, she said, well, what, what do you think about the day? And, and I said, Karen, that, that's a match. That church was made for us and we were made for them. And you know what? Yeah, thank you. That's not the point of the story. Not the point of the story. <laughs> I, real, I, I don't want to say I wouldn't have known that, but, I, but I'll say it. I don't know that I would have known that. And I'm confident I would not have appreciated that moment, that feeling, had there not been that four-year process. H had God not emptied me of myself. I, I, don't, I don't know that that would have meant what it meant in that moment because it was so much more than answered prayer. It was so much more of, yay, I'm going to be a pastor now. It was, it was, it was so much more because in that moment I realized my story is God's story. But for that to happen, folks, there's going to be a sentence over here. There's going to be an entire chapter over here that you just hate. You don't understand why that sentence is there. You don't understand why that chapter is there. You can't make this chapter connect to this chapter. And you don't know where God is. And you don't know why he won't answer your prayers. And you're sure he doesn't care. And all you have to hold on in that moment is just a promise. I will accomplish my plans for you. What do we do while we're waiting for him to do that? Humble yourself. Place your story under the story writer. Cast your anxieties upon him because when you're under the story writer, you'll get anxious. 
You will get anxious. You will not like some things. You will not be able to put some, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. This Thursday, we'll gather around the the Thanksgiving table. Some of us, that might be an army of one gathering around the table. Maybe it's two of you. Maybe it's 15 of you. But we'll, you'll, you'll sit down to that and, and you'll give thanks. We'll give thanks for three or four things. Maybe we really mean it. Maybe we're just saying thank you for the three or four things we say thank you for every Thanksgiving. I mean, we're thankful for them, but really that's not a lot of what we're thinking about at that moment. We're just, it's our turn to say thank you. But you know what? There, there'll be some things this Thursday you're not thankful for, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's, if you live on this earth, there's some things you're not thankful for. Aren't you glad God doesn't make you be thankful for things like that? Wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to be thankful for everything. No, we're not supposed to be thankful for everything. He, he doesn't ask you, say, man, God, I am so grateful for the divorce you brought me in 2014. Wow, Lord, I am so grateful for you taking my health in 2014. Man, Lord, I am so grateful for the fact that this meal I'm sitting down to enjoy, I'm not sure I can afford. And and, and on and on and on. We're not thankful for it. We're thankful in it. Oh boy, folks, the power of a preposition. Huge difference between for and in. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. Well, if I'm not thankful for it, then what am I thankful for? Folks, this Thursday... And every day, be thankful that you're not the story writer. That you don't have to figure out how to make this awful chapter 17 years ago get reconciled today. You don't have to make this sentence tie together to that sentence. That relationship tie together to this relationship. This chapter and this missing chapter in between connect. You don't have to put it together. There is a story writer and he loves you and he will finish the story of your life and you will praise him for it when he does. Let's pray. Father, there's a part of me that just pours out praise and thanksgiving that you are the story writer. God, there's another part of me that my heart just hurts for what I know is in this room right now because God, there are people that are in a place in their story. They're at a time in their story where they can't see you. They can't tell that anything good is happening. They don't know where you are. God, would you give them the strength, the faith to humble themselves and place themselves under you. God, help me, help us not to get proud, not to get to that place where we think we know better and we come out from under you and we start writing our own story that just makes things worse, keeps us from enjoying you, keeps us from enjoying people, keeps us from strength and peace and purpose. Lord, would you give every one of us just a a fresh dose of faith, a fresh vision 
of you, the story writer. And give us the faith that at the proper time, there is an exact place on the page where that answer comes. God, give us the faith to trust in that. And for all of those in this room right now that are pages away from that spot, God, this week, may they just experience some evidence of your love, your involvement, your care. You promise that you care. Show them this week, oh God, that you care. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.